Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast about children's development from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. I'm Priscilla Weigel, the Executive Director, and I'm here today again with our great partner and friend, Sarah Hawley, who is from Minnesota Childcare Health Consultants. She's a public health nurse who specializes really in childcare settings and keeping children safe while they're at childcare. And that's how she spends her days and um, with her team. And Sarah, today we're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic, nap time. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Glad you're here. And why don't we just get started with this subject that can be a real challenge sometimes too, I think. And there's a lot of things to take into consideration in order to create a successful nap time for you in your childcare setting. So one of those things that, you know, you recommend starting out with, and our coaches also recommend is what's your plan and should there be a plan and how can that be helpful? And so why don't we start there? Yeah, that's a good starting point. Definitely have to plan for nap time and rest time. Um, most children today are in childcare at some point, you know, whether it's, you know, they're both parents are working um, and they're in all day or they go to a preschool. Um, but with so many children being in childcare, you really need to provide, you know, have a planned out opportunity for sleep or even just quiet rest time. So planning for regular rest periods in an age appropriate rest environment is really important for childcare providers. Think it out ahead of time. Yeah. And even as we were talking before we hopped on to record, we were talking about preparing families for what that plan is too. And just knowing that children are going to need to sleep in certain spaces depending on their age. Um, So that's part of that plan too. What kind of policies and procedures you're articulating and all of those things go into that planning, starting with when the parents walk in the door for that tour. Yeah, no, that's actually, that's a great point. Um, And like I said, kids do spend a lot of their times today at childcare, many kids. So it is really important that providers do have the plan. They've got, you know, the practices that promote age appropriate sleep. And then also that the staff is trained and they're aware um, just of sleep, you know, recommended sleep amounts um, for children so that they can really counsel parents on that. Cause you know, some parents might not be aware. So that's a good thing, you know, to share that information. Um, and you know, sleep is just so important because you've got these young children, you know, that they need sleep for their optimal growth and development. So it's really important early on to help them, teach them to develop, um, healthy sleep habits, really. Um, the National Sleep Foundation lays out recommendations for the amount of sleep um, durations, and they include a combination of both nighttime and daytime sleep. Um, and it's a lot more than some people think. Like newborns is between 14 and 17 hours total. And then infants, it goes to about 12 to 15. Toddlers, 11 to 14. And preschoolers, 10 to 13 hours. So it's a lot of sleep. Again, I said, you know, it's really important for their growth and development, but it's been, you know, proper sleep has been shown to reduce um, pediatric obesity a little bit later on, you know, in life, Um, decreases the risk of emotional and behavioral problems. It decreases the risk of problems with academics in the classrooms. So 
really, really important. So it's it's very important providers have a plan and a space for um, proper rest time for these kiddos. Right. You know, as we're talking, I'm thinking there are so many things we can do as early childhood educators to really give gifts to families as far as their understanding of the key components to successful development and really sleep patterns and expectations is probably one of the greatest gifts. Because when you think about it, there's that wonderful payoff for the children, but for the parents, when you know your child has a regular sleep schedule and pattern, you're then able to better plan your life and you're probably going to have one yourself. You're going to have a better sleep plan for yourself. And so we can be so helpful and useful in pointing out just what you're sharing, you know, the amount of time, when you think about toddlers, when you said those numbers, we, what was the what were the toddler span again, the hours for sleep? Toddlers is 11 to 14. Wow. So you think about a toddler in childcare, that's, that's going to be tough to try to make sure right. that they have a good solid nap and then try to get them into bed so that they're really getting what they need and then have them sleep long enough in the morning. I mean... Balancing all that right. out, and that's where we can really be a helpful support to families. Yeah, it's definitely an important partnership between the child care staff and the families. And I think there's a big learning curve that people don't expect, you know, with child development and considering sleep and everything. But you touched on a really good point there that, you know, sleep really affects the entire family. It's not just the child who sleeps, but it affects the entire household. Um, you know, because if a child doesn't sleep, then there's no way that the parents are sleeping. And it just, you know, it can become a worry too. You know, if the child's up in the middle of the night and it's like, how are you going to get the child to childcare and then get to work yourself? And it can be exhausting. So it's really important to have a plan for it and to put a really good effort into it as well. And the plan for it too, you've got to plan timing. And, you know, just like you said, how are you going to, you know, with a toddler sleeping 11 to 14 hours? Well, it's like, you've only got 10 hours, 10 to 12 hours left in the day. So you've got to, you know, kind of time everything right. You don't want to have a nap too late in the day where it's going to affect bedtime. So it, it, kind of making it probably sound harder than it is, but the, the key with it is just to get on a really good routine and get in that pattern. And for educators to have a good communication pattern with families so that they can understand when the sleep has been disrupted or when there might be a change, um, that's, that's really important, too, because you want to be a partner in that with families so that they're not carrying that burden. As you said, you don't want to make it sound like it's too complicated or overwhelming, but if we're walking alongside each other as partners in this path of how can we make it really great for your child while they're at care for resting. And that's what we're going to talk about next. How can we do that? How can we provide those optimal conditions that will help ensure good naps for children while they're at care? Right. Yeah. So, um, and this, this really, I do want to mention, this can be the form, you know, of actual napping, which is usually, you know, definitely toddlers and early preschoolers, or even just quiet times, you know, because as age, you know, they might be a preschooler and after three years old, some children nap and some children, you know, kind of grow out of it at that point. But for children who do not sleep, the program really needs to have a plan um, in place, you know, just to provide that time, that space for quiet play, looking at books or even playing like a quiet board game. But getting back to your question, um, so for younger children, conditions that are conducive to sleep need to be considered. So consistent caregivers where they feel comfortable 
um, a routine, quiet place, that regular times for rest so that they have that plan of, you know, every day after lunch at 1230 or whatever, we go down till, until, you know, two o'clock, two thirty, whatnot. Um, they should be separated from children who are engaged in activity. You know, anything that's going to disrupt a napping or resting child should be in a separate area. Um, each child have their own crib or cot designated. Um, you know, children on cots can have blankets. Some of them have sheets. Those should be laundered weekly. Um, if, it, you know, if they're soiled or if the child's sick, we would obviously want it done as needed, but at least weekly. Um, and then storing those items as well. We want to make sure that those are stored separately from other children's. We never want to like stack the blankets on top of one another. It's not a very sanitary way to store things. Um, and we just don't want, you know, you see sometimes on cots with the blankets stacked up or kind of falling over the cots. We don't ever want one child's, you know, sheet or blanket to touch another child. So kind of alternating them on the cots or whatnot. Um, and then, like I said, just remembering if they're soiled or, you know, if they get bodily fluids on them to wash them. But I think just planning out that quiet space um, and that regular rest time is really important to have that all planned out. Yeah. I remember, you know, when I was in the classroom, one of the things about nap time is you you start to see patterns in the children in your group and you're like, okay, this is my good sleeper and who really needs silence. So I'm going to put them in the yeah. furthest corner away from the door because I don't want people coming right. and going to rattle their, you know, the doorknob and have that child wake up or the kids who, you know, you're going to be getting up to do those activities because they're not long sleepers. Those kids right. are going to be in the same area so that they're not going to disrupt their peers who are really, really having a good solid nap and need that nap. So um, mm -hmm. it does. It takes that forethought and that planning. And it also takes you knowing the kids in your group. Yeah. Then that really goes back to having that con consistent caregiver because, you know, with the consistency of a regular caregiver, they're going to learn those things about the children. And like you said, the ones that really are a heavy sleeper, or they need, you know, the quiet place in the corner or whatnot. Um, but yeah, really important if possible. Yeah. And I think as we think about, you know, current status of settings where staffing shortages are so um, overwhelming for a lot of folks, having mm -hmm. a plan, you know, I'm just picturing and, and I've used this in the past in different settings that I've been in, but just a, I'm kind of a map for nap, you know, and just having the kids cots on this drawing of the classroom where their names are so that if there is a different caregiver that has to come in who doesn't know the sleep patterns of the children, they're able to look at that map and go, oh, that's where that's where so-and-so sleeps and that's where so-and-so. So it's not disruptive because it can be so disruptive to be sleep. I mean, we all, as adults, we like our side of the bed. We like, you know, to have the room a certain way. Kids are the same way when they want to sleep. They, you know, some kids will sleep anywhere and that's great. But some of the children who need a rub on their back or all of those yeah. things, those should be noted so that th you can set the situation up for success if there is a, a change in caregivers. Yes, absolutely. That's just like as caregivers in the hospital, we as nurses, you know, when we get done with our shift, you know, we report off to another nurse. It's the same thing, just making those notes of where the cots go and maybe a little note about the child that they like this or whatnot. So yeah, the routine is super important. Very true. Um, so when we look at health and safety practices, you touched on some of them related to like 
blankets, touching, and those types of things. But when we think about toddlers and preschoolers, what are some things that come to mind that really need to be in place for that health and safety lens to really help everyone, especially, you know, now we're coming out of winter, I hope, but just all those illnesses, and you know, little children, when they're in group care, they're passing all that back and forth constantly. Yeah. So if possible, we really like to see the cots three feet apart. If possible, you know, sometimes the rooms are too small for that. And at that point, I would just say it's recommended to space them as far apart as you can from one another. Um, You can alternate the children like head to toe. So opposite the way that they're laying, um, you know, keeping their sleeping surface away from each other is going to help with the germs. And if you think about it, you know, during the day when children are awake and interacting with each other, um, you know, they can contaminate each other. But as they're sleeping, they're not going to think to cover their mouth when they cough or sneeze. So any respiratory secretions, you know, will just go out. So having them spread out is really important. And like I said, if you don't have the three feet, just push them out as far as you can. Um, And the other thing with that too, is it's going to help staff if they have to get to a child really quickly, you know, without waking up the other ones to have those clear aisles is really important. Or in the case of an emergency, if you'd have to evacuate, I have been in programs, you know, where the cots are right next to each other, like a butted and you got to, you got to push them out as much as you can. Um, Programs have asked us sometimes, can we put screens between the children and, I would not go that far. I would just say, do your best to spread them out, keeping the three feet in mind, do what you can. The whole thing with screens is it limits supervision. You're not going to be able to see the children then. Um, Interferes with immediate access to the child if you'd have to get them, or like I said, the emergency evacuation. And not to mention, I feel like they could get knocked over on top of the child and then injure a child. So I wouldn't do that. Um, The other thing is make sure the kids have their heads uncovered. We want to be able to you know, you can dim the lights, but you do need to be able to see the child, the color of their skin and lips and just to be able to supervise them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. And how about for infants making sure that they're having, I mean, that's a little different because they have cribs. So they're not, it's not the cot situation, but. Right. So they should all have their own crib. Um, Programs should be following the latest guidelines of safe sleep. Um, so cribs need to be checked on the Consumer Product Safety Commission website to make sure that there's no recalls. They should be doing that annually. In center base, they need to check the cribs. Um, it's just called a monthly crib check, and you're just making sure that there's not, you know, rails or nuts or bolts loose or anything. Um, they, infants should not sleep in equipment. It's They should only sleep in a crib, you know, nothing in the crib. Um Lighting, there should be lighting so you can monitor the infants as well. Um, Sometimes we see crib rooms where the cribs are in a separate room than the classroom and the infant room. So a couple things with that, Um, preferably, doesn't always happen, it's hard to, we just mentioned staffing, potential shortages, but if you can have a person sitting there to monitor the infants, that would be ideal. If you can't, then, you know, you can do like a baby monitor so that you can constantly hear, but then you need to go in and do regular visual checks of each sleeping infant in there every five to 10 minutes, really. And then um, avoid like any strangulation hazards. You know, sometimes we've seen cribs next to windows that have, you know, blinds, so you don't want any cords. 
no dangling cords from like, you know, if there's a fan or anything like that, no electrical cords. And then I always go over the things when you put the child in the crib, take off a bib because we don't want that to, you know, fold over their face. Um, We don't like to see drawstrings on any hoods. And I would say if they have sweatshirts with hoods, I would just take them off in the crib just because they can twist around. Um, No like teething necklaces or anything, no chokeables or anything that could strangulate them. Um, They can have a pacifier in the crib though, for sure. Um, They just shouldn't have any attachments to that pacifier. So no like clips or the little stuffed animals. Those can all be a potential hazard. So just a a regular pacifier is fine. And then I mentioned, you know, that um, providers should be following safe sleep practices. So that's going to the safe to sleep program. It used to be called the back to sleep campaign, which came out in the early 1990s. And the whole premise around it is just that infants are placed in a crib on their back to sleep. Um, And once they started doing that in the 90s, SIDS rates dropped in half. So, and they, like I said, they've changed the name. So now if you look for it, you can go to the National Institute of Health. That's the website for it. And it is called Safe to Sleep rather than Back to Sleep. Um, But yeah, all babies under one year of age are placed on their back to sleep in a crib. Um, The crib should have a firm, tight-fitting mattress so that there's never like uh, loose space between the mattress and the crib rails. You wouldn't ever want an infant to get lodged in there. So tight-fitting mattress, tight-fitting sheet on that mattress that couldn't be dislodged. You know, you would never want an infant to get a hold of it and pull it over themselves or anything. So a proper fitting sheet that fits tight. And then as far as the baby in the crib, what we recommend is just a basic um, sleep sack. So Halo brand is a common one. Um, Just zips down. It should fit the infant appropriately. So they have sizes on them. So you know, if you have a three-month-old baby, you don't want to buy the 12 to 15-month size because it could, you know, go up over their face or something. But that's just, instead of a blanket that they could pull over their face, just think of that as a wearable blanket. So it has a zipper in the front and just zips down. Um, so that'll help, you know, kind of keep the baby feel a little bit more secure and snuggled. Um, like I said, they can have a pacifier, but nothing attached to it. Um Yeah. And then obviously you think of the other things with like risks for infants, like you always want to avoid smoke exposure, second and third hand smoke exposure, just because that increased SIDS um, incidences. Um, And then I always say too, the ABCs of sleep. So baby sleeps alone, they sleep on their back and they sleep in a crib for all sleeps. So, you know, if the baby falls asleep, it does happen, you know, in a bouncy seat or something. As soon as that provider is able to, they need to be moved into the crib. ABC, that's great to can keep it fresh in your mind. One thing that Sarah and I were talking about early on before we hopped on to record was just, you know, the the lighting issue. You you really need to be able to visually see children and also see their face face and lips and notice if they're you know looking healthy and safe. Um, but sometimes in there's, you know, with lighting, it's one extreme or the other. It's either all the way off, super dark, or all the way on, super bright. And for children who have a hard time calming, that's not helpful. So if there is a way to do a dimmer switch on your um, lighting for the space that you're na- that you're napping in, that might be helpful because you can start to dim even as you're making those transitions to calm folks and calm everyone to get kind of that signal to the kids that nap time is coming. And then you don't have to feel like it has to be so dark 
because they're already yeah. getting calm. Yeah. Kind of gradually after lunch, as they start to put out the cots and get ready for nap, just to slowly kind of dim it. And, but yeah, it cannot be pitch dark. You have to be able to see the kids, the infants or preschoolers, whoever they are. Um, and you think about it too, if it's pitch dark and you have all those cots scattered about the room and you need to get to a child, or, I mean, someone's going to end up tripping and hurting themselves. So it's got, you have to be able to see. Yeah. Well, Sarah, this is always a great reminder conversation. And for some folks listening, it might be some new information as well. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we sign off? And I love your ABC acronym to remind us that always alone, B is back and C is in a crib. Yep. So baby sleeps in the crib on their back. So there's nothing in their sleep area. Maybe the pacifier. Baby's face is uncovered. You can have that sleep sack if you want. No smoking around the baby. And then just, yeah, don't overdress them or overheat them either. So just, you know, regular temperature room is perfectly fine. People typically sleep a little bit better when they're in cool conditions. And then, yeah, with the older kids, I just like to have enough light in the room to see, you know, their skin color and everything and no blankets or anything over their heads. Because once they get to a cot, you know, they can have that blanket, but we just, we don't want it over their Great routines to to develop and keep children safe and also make sure that they're getting the rest that they need so they can grow and develop along the pathway and reach their greatest potential. So, And it's happy for the family too. So thank you, Sarah, for being with us once again. I always enjoy our conversations. And thank you, listeners. If you want to know more, you can always look to... Um, the, what was the website you said about the, that had the sleep times? Oh, the National Sleep Foundation. Yep. They have the recommendations for the sleep durations um, and then for infant safe sleep. So the whole safe to sleep program is the National Institute of Health. Great. Wonderful. And also we have resources on our website, inclusivechildcare.org. Thank you for listening and thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit us at inclusivechildcare.org.